0: Hello. I hope you're having an awesome day and you are ready to expand your mind, learn about some interesting information, and not be afraid of a controversy, because I'm sure not. Before I hop into all of that, though, let's talk about something a little bit less controversial, which is the fact that A high-quality probiotic can truly change your life. And this is one of the most important things that I recommend people add into their daily routines is supplementing with a high-quality probiotic. Our food supply just is not what it used to be. We are not getting exposed to the beneficial microbes that we need to. And so many people have disrupted gut microbiomes and leaky gut aka intestinal permeability and a high quality probiotic can really really help transform this and this is why i love just thrive probiotic when it comes to probiotics though there are so many fakes out there on the market there are so many that you can find all over the place but just because something's labeled a probiotic doesn't mean it actually is a probiotic and it doesn't mean it's actually going to benefit you and i would rather you not take a probiotic than take one that's not high quality because those can often do more harm than good but the one i recommend to all of my clients in my friends and family, and the one that I use myself is Just Thrive. And the reason why I love Just Thrive is because there's so much science behind it and you really notice the results because it's a legit probiotic. And what do I mean by that? I mean that it actually makes it 100% alive to the intestines. It can survive the harsh gastric environment of the stomach and make it all the way to those intestines, which is really profound because studies have shown that most probiotics on the market do not survive the harsh stomach environment, making them by definition not a true probiotic. Just Thrive Probiotic is a spore probiotic formulation made up of four bacillus strains, including bacillus indicus. These are some of the most well-studied probiotic strains for both safety and efficacy, and they've been used for over 60 years. Just Thrive has also been shown in human clinical trials to actually help cure leaky gut in just 30 days. The majority of Americans struggle with leaky gut, which is just a ticking time bomb in the body. It is the root cause of most major chronic illnesses, including heart disease, diabetes, cancer, dementia, autoimmune diseases, and a whole host of other illnesses. Even if you don't struggle with a chronic illness, if you are dealing with food intolerances, allergies, poor digestion, it's a good idea to look at your gut health and to see if you have intestinal permeability. Just Thrive can help you to heal that leaky gut. It's also great for immune support. Just Thrive upregulates the T regulatory system in the body, which is going to suppress any unfavorable immune responses like allergies and food sensitivities. With 80% of our immune system found in the gut, Just Thrive is really critical for maintaining overall optimal health, especially during cold and flu season and while traveling. You don't have to refrigerate, just thrive. The strains are so stable that they don't have to be refrigerated. If a probiotic needs to be refrigerated, it's probably too sensitive to actually make it to your intestines alive. If they can't survive room temperature on a shelf, then what are they going to do when they get into a 98.6 degree body? Besides supporting your gut health and your immune system... Just Thrive is also amazing for metabolic reconditioning. The strains in Just Thrive can drastically improve the production of short chain fatty acids in the body. And with a 40% or more increase in short chain fatty acid production, this can create a measurable metabolic shift in your body and can result in less fat storage, higher fat burn, improved insulin sensitivity, improved satiety and reduced gut and systemic inflammation. And if you struggle with your stress levels or your mood, remember that 90% of your serotonin is produced in the gut and spore-forming bacteria like the strains in Just Thrive are key to elevating serotonin levels in the gut. So this is great for mental health as well. Whether you are struggling with your mental health or your gut health or you have weight loss goals or allergies or you're an athlete, high stress, just looking to support your immune system. You definitely want a high quality probiotic in your routine and Just Thrive is the one to grab. So if you want to check this out, go to bit.ly slash Just Thrive Christina and my code Christina15 will get you 15% off. So again, just go to bit.ly slash Just Thrive Christina and my code Christina15, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A 1-5 15, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A 15 will get you 15% off. Let's dive into uh, discussing today's episode. I'm really excited about this one because we're talking about vaccines and I know vaccines are a very controversial, loaded topic, but that's only if you approach it like that. And the thing is, this is a discussion that needs to be had. People have asked me to talk about vaccines before. I am not a vaccine expert, so I wanted to bring someone on who has studied this extensively. And I really want to emphasize the fact that this is not about swaying someone to be pro-vaccines or anti-vaccines. This is about getting everybody to look into the different arguments on both sides of the discussion to be educated so that they can make their own personal decision. I also want people to remember that it's not just you know you're either anti-vaccines or pro-vaccines. There's also a lot of middle ground as well and everyone's entitled to feel the way they want to feel about this but people I think are really responsible to understand all of the data and all of the information out there. Again, on both sides of the conversation. I really want to empower you to make your own informed opinions. Even if those are different than mine. And you probably don't even know what mine are, even if you think you do. Something I pride myself on is really being open to different sides of a discussion and you guys know I challenge my paradigm a lot when it comes to nutrition but I do that with every aspect of my life with different social conversations political conversations. I like to learn about the different ways that that people think and different information out there so that I feel like I get a really well-rounded perspective and then can sort of form form my own opinion from there. And I encourage you to do the same. And even if that means you disagree with other people that you respect or people in your life, then that's okay because remember, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But I just think that you are responsible to really look at all of the information so that you can make an informed opinion. That being said, today's guest is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She is a board-certified osteopathic medical doctor from Cleveland, Ohio. She's the founder of Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center, which is a clinic that specializes in holistic health and healing, including breast thermography, allergy relief, and bioidentical hormones. Dr. Sherry is an internationally known expert on the problems associated with vaccines And she has created so many different pieces of content for you to learn about this information. She has so many blog posts. She's an author of several books, a contributor to many more. She has online educational courses. She has done hundreds of TV and radio interviews. And she does just so much research on this topic. And like I said, I'm not an expert on vaccines so I wanted to bring someone on who has studied these extensively and I know that you will learn a lot from this conversation no matter what side of the vaccine argument you're on. I highly recommend going to her website vaxter.com V-A-X-X-T-E-R.com, because she has so many blog posts up and it's really interesting to read all of her work. If you feel like you don't know that much information about about the vaccine topic, I really encourage you to just start looking into it and get research from different people, from different sides, and form your own opinion. I understand that this is a very emotional topic for people, and I really, really encourage you to be sensitive to people's experiences around this topic and... To just respect people's opinions. Dr. Sherry recognizes that this is very controversial for many people and emotionally charged, and she has offered to come back on the show in a couple months and answer any questions you have in response to this podcast episode or even if we just didn't cover something that you have questions about, if there's another piece of the argument that you would like to hear her perspective on, she is happy to come back on and answer any of those questions. She wants this to be a conversation. So if you listen to this and there is something you want more information on, if you have any question for her to answer, then please send that in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Send that there and I will compile all of those questions, responses, and Dr. Sherry will come back on the show and answer any questions you might have no matter what your opinions are on vaccines you will learn something from this from this conversation so i really encourage you to listen to the full thing and just learn about her perspective and no matter what yours is that alone will help you grow intellectually to learn about people's arguments and to learn about some new statistics that you might not know about and just about how you know vaccines are in america and other countries i think it's really fascinating and there's just there's a lot of information out there so i think it's it's great for us all to just educate ourselves and learn as much as we can on every side of the conversation so I encourage you again to send in any questions you have in response to this, whatever you want Dr. Sherry to respond to, just send that into podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com and we will do a follow-up. Dr. Sherry is such a sweet woman and she is really well educated and really just wants people to be informed. So I really appreciate her working so hard to do a lot of research for people who might not have access to all of the different research she does and I just appreciate her as a person because she is seriously so kind if you guys well you'll probably be able to tell just from listening to this episode but she is just one of the sweetest people to chat with so I really appreciate that anyways now that you are mentally primed and you understand we are going to be talking about vaccines let's go ahead and hop into this interview with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny Thank you so much, Dr. Sherry, for coming on the podcast today. I have been so excited to chat with you. And to start off, can you just introduce yourself to my audience and tell them a little bit about what you do and what you specialize in?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me on, Christina. It's great to be able to talk to your audience, and particularly in the age group of Of people that would be very interested in this topic of vaccines. So I'm a board-certified physician. I still see patients two and a half days a week in the office, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, And I started my first career as a board-certified emergency medicine physician. So I was the director of the ER at Blanchard Valley Hospital in Finley, Ohio, for 12 years. Then I moved to Cleveland in 1996 and opened an integrative holistic medicine center here that I'm always proud to say we've had people from all 50 states and from seven foreign, 17 foreign countries that have come to our clinic our, our clinic here in Cleveland, Ohio to get well and get off their drugs. And we actually have a holistic pediatrician that works with us, Dr. Janet Who And so none of us, we don't give vaccines in our office. We offer homeoprophylaxis, which we can talk about a little bit later. But I got interested in this topic, like most things, kind of by default. I got a flyer in the mail in, in about maybe summer of 2000 that the National Vaccine Information Center, was having a meeting in September in Washington, D.C., and it seemed kind of interesting, but every time I would go to throw that flyer away, it somehow ended up back on my kitchen counter. And so I thought, well, there must be some reason that I'm supposed to go to this meeting. And as it turned out, it wasn't someone, it was something. And I sat for four intensive days listening to parents and doctors and PhDs and researchers uh, and government officials, lawyers, talking about vaccine injuries and the problems associated with vaccination. And when I came home after that meeting, I thought, How did I miss this? I mean, I've been in the practice of medicine since at that time for 15 years. Since 1985, I'd had my holistic medicine practice since 1996. This was now September of 2000. I grew up in a chiropractic family. I had never been. I had no vaccines. I had measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, pertussis, all the, the normal childhood illnesses that were that that children, I believe, still should have. And I didn't really understand what the big deal was about vaccines. So I started researching, and I started with the CDC documents, and I looked at the general recommendations of vaccination, and they put one of those out about every three years. And this was the 1998 version. And when I read it, I thought, this this can't be it. I mean, this is a poorly written paper. It's like this one-size-fits-all messy thing with this vaccine industry. But maybe I ought to read a little bit more. Well, the reading a little bit more has, has exceeded well over 30,000 hours of research. I stopped counting a long time ago. I've been doing this 19 and a half years now. And quite frankly, if I'm not um, sitting in a room seeing a patient, I'm usually at home in front of my computer, either writing books, because I've written two books on the topic and contribute chapters to several others, building our vaccine university courses, which is now launched and available. We've opened the 10penny Research Library which has more than 10,000 10, articles from peer-reviewed mainstream medical journals showing problems with vaccines. Twice a year we offer a boot camp course, which will be coming up again in the fall, that goes through all of the basic things that people need to know, not only in their life to make good decisions as parents and as leaders and an activist, but as a way to talk to other people without heat and without making anybody mad at them and having them defriend them on social media or whatever. That's what our boot camp course and then we have a really specialized membership for those that have been through the boot camp course. So I spend most of my life on this. There's very little that people can say to me that I haven't either investigated or know about. So it's always fun to be able to, um, to share this type of information with people who are right on the front end going, gee, I, I've been told by my doctor that vaccines are safe and effective and keep my kids from getting sick. And somehow they're absolutely as necessary as oxygen, Or to the other side of going, but wait a minute, what's coming through that needle could make your child sick for life and even die. And so there's a big... Uh, there's a cognitive dissonance that happens inside of that paradigm because we have a multi-generational conditioning about vaccines and the mainstream media is pouring it on heavier now more than ever. And like with you being in California, you know all about SB-277 and what's pushing now with SB-276 and it's rolling across the country because there's an international mandate that every child must be vaccinated with the the multiple doses of 17 vaccines or somehow if you don't vaccinate your child, you're committing child abuse. And so I think it's more important than ever for people to really investigate and say, wow, that's being injected into me as an adult or into my children. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. I need to have a say over this. So this educational opportunity with you and your podcast is really important now more than ever.
0: I would definitely agree. And I think it's such a loaded topic, so to speak. I think that one that people are almost afraid of. I see in my community people, they ask me to talk about vaccines, but then anytime someone whispers about it,
1: they get very upset. Um, and and, it, I, and yeah. I think I know why that is. I think I, I first of all, Um, First, it causes this huge cognitive dissonance, right? We've been really conditioned to believe that the sun rises in the east. We've learned that forever. And now when somebody comes along with documented proof to go, "Mm, not so fast, it may be rising from the south. People are like, wait, no, that can't be. We know that this is the truth. So there's this cognitive dissonance that happens. The other thing I think that happens is it comes down to trusting authority figures. People want to trust their pediatrician, even though they don't understand that their pediatrician knows nothing about vaccines except how to give them on time. They have no idea. In fact, some of the surveys that were done and published in the pe- journal of Pediatrics, less than 27% of physicians even said they would know how to recognize a vaccine reaction if it happened. Less than 27%. Oh and 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 I also believe that you know there there it's a whole lot easier to go with the flow, not mm-hmm. cause any problems, just go get along, go along to get along. And I think the parents that choose to not vaccinate, they have to do a little more work in parenting. They have to do their own investigation. They have to get really solid in their own convictions. They have to be willing to take some heat to protect their kids. And not everybody's willing to do that. So I think that that's the reason why when you say when you talk in your community, there's like this big blowback. Mm-hmm. It's because one of those four nuggets hits into somebody's head, and it's just easier to to label people. Because right now, the only defense the pro-vaccine people have is calling names and labeling people. We've got them beaten hand down on the science. We've got them beaten hand down on the on the complications and side effects. They know it. They won't discuss it. So all they do is lob hand grenades about your conspiracy theorists, your tinfoil hat, you're abusing your children, you're putting the community at risk. I mean, they just call names and everybody, sort because of the way of our culture is right now, if somebody labels you, everybody cowers instead of standing up in your power and saying, wait a minute, what do you really know about this that you're calling me those names?
0: I would definitely agree. And I would also like to add one more. I think um, some level of taking responsibility or not wanting to take responsibility um, or thinking it is your responsibility. For example, I look at some of the health issues I've dealt with and wonder how much is connected with the vaccines I received Um, and bringing that up to my parents, for instance, can cause some issues because They don't want to believe that, you know, maybe making that decision affected me. And it's not me blaming them. I'm just trying to put pieces together for myself so I can be better educated for the future and if I have children. Um, So I think that can also ruffle some feathers.
1: Yeah, I think in that element that you're kind of referring to is that element of guilt. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, could I personally have caused this? And I personally think that that's why physicians – don't get their heads around it. Mm -hmm. Because if, as a physician, if you walked into your chart room or if you had an electronic medical record, you flipped open your computer and you're skimming down like all the patients in your practice and you go, wow, allergies, asthma, eczema, ADD, ADHD, seizure disorders, lupus, um, autoimmune diseases, thyroid conditions, All the stuff I injected into those kids and I arm twisted those parents into doing that and injecting those 35 doses of vaccines that those kids now get by the time they enter kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So it's 35 opportunities that something might go wrong. I, as a physician, played a role in that. You know, it's easier for them to to deny it and say, no, it has nothing to do with it than to go, wow, I I need to change the way I practice. I need to do some self-forgiveness work here. I need to, like, uh, get educated and learn how to make a living doing something other than poisoning children.
0: Yeah, it also reminds me kind of what happens with sort of the whole antibiotic culture. Like doctors just will give you antibiotics instead of actually working on root cause, using herbals, because that's what the, they've been taught and that's all they know how to use, many of them. Um, so it kind of reminds me of that parallel as well. But let's let's get into um, more of like what's, what's in vaccines. Like let's explain to people what's in them. What are the, the health risks?
1: Well, if people really understood what was coming through that needle, I've said this quite a few times recently when I said, if you really understood the problematic ingredients that were inside of vaccines, you wouldn't take that vaccine and inject it into your garden toad, let alone into your children. Mm -hmm. And most people kind of think garden toads are important, right? They eat the bugs and keep your vegetables okay. Why would you inject things like Cow, cow blood, and chicken parts, and dog cells, and gelatin, and polysorbate 80, and formaldehyde. Formaldehyde, beta propiolactone, Triton X100, and ethylene oxide are known carcinogens. Now, Triton X100 is a detergent that's used in flu shots. But when it's injected into the body, it breaks down into ethylene oxide Ethylene oxide is a known carcinogen that needs to be labeled, according to Prop 65 in California, as a known carcinogen. But yet, we don't hear anything about that from these flu shots that they start giving children at six months of age, that the Triton X100, that's one of the things it breaks down into when it's injected into the body. So Triton 100 which is a detergent, isn't a carcinogen, but a byproduct of it is after it's already in your body, and it's already known as a label, should be labeled as a carcinogen according to Prop 65. So there's all kind, There's antibiotics, there's an antibiotic in there called neomycin, which comes from the family of antibiotics called aminoglycosides, which is a very, very strong antibiotic that kills all the gram-negative bacteria. So we talk about the gut microbiome in these little bitty babies that can affect the gut microbiome, and in it, it, very high doses that they give for other types of serious infections, it can actually cause kidney dysfunction. But remember, there's a big difference of topical application of antibiotics, oral anti- uh, uh, taking in like an like a, amoxicillin or taking in something by mouth and injecting it into the muscle, which then disperses into the bloodstream. And, and I, I really think that, you know, ne- there's another uh, really um, there's another ingredient that's really super toxic and it's gelatin. And gelatin is very pro-inflammatory when it's injected. Now, gelatin is in Jello, so you know we know that Jello is okay when you eat it, but when you would take that gelatin and inject it into the body, it becomes very pro-inflammatory. Now, the MMR vaccine, which is measles, mumps, and rubella, has the highest concentration of gelatin of any of any vaccine. I think it has fifteen thousand, no, twelve thousand micrograms per shot. And it also has twenty-five micrograms of neomycin. The other the there are eighteen other vaccines that have antibiotics in them, but the antibiotics in the other vaccines are in nanogram and picogram doses, so teeny teeny tiny little drops. In in the MMR, it's twenty-five micrograms, so it's a thousand times more neomycin in the MMR than in any of the rest of the vaccines. Then you couple that with this high dose of pro-inflammatory gelatin. I kind of think, and this is my personal hypothesis, that that's the reason why this MMR is so toxic to so many children and why children just like flip over the top into autism or on the spectrum or other types of autoimmune disorders because the neomycin goes in and kills their gut and then it opens up, the the gut is bidirectional, uh, the the vagus nerve in the gut and the brain is bidirectional, so you get this inflammation in your gut, which then opens up the blood-brain barrier, we call it leaky brain, in addition to leaky gut, and now you've got all this gelatin floating around uh, that can go into the brain, and if you've had previous vaccines, which most people, most kids are, that are being vaccinated, because you get the MMR about one year of age, so there's all this aluminum that never goes out of the body once it's been injected into the muscle. It's there pretty much forever. And kids cannot, don't even begin to start getting rid of aluminum until they're at least two years of age when their gallbladder starts functioning and when their kidneys get to real functioning. And by that time, they've had, you know, like, like I can tell you exactly how many doses of vaccine they've had. By, um, by, by, by one year of age, kids have had, if they're fully vaccinated, Will have had 19 shots, 25 micrograms of mercury, and almost 5,000 micrograms of aluminum injected into their body by one year of age before they even get the MMR vaccine. And it's just in there, like it's, it's going to stay in there. stay the the studies have shown. That, that aluminum, once it is injected into the body, um, when it gets injected into the muscle, it gets picked up by the macrophages, by the white blood cells that act like little Pac-Man garbage eaters and when the white blood cells pick them up, they can disperse them just about anywhere and they end up in bone marrow, in liver they can, the white blood cells can cross the blood-brain barrier and they can deposit it into the brain and they do believe that that may be one of the mechanisms of the early onsets of, of Alzheimer's and dementia that they are now talking about, these neurofibril tangles that are happening in the brain, that when they look at those tangles on autopsy, they find them loaded with aluminum. Now what's really interesting is that uh, Dr. Chris Exley out of the UK did a very large study uh, of autopsy of, I believe it was 18 brains of uh, people who were diagnosed with uh, with autism um, and and they, they had died for one reason or another. So the, at autopsy, they looked at this brain tissue and what they were finding, because Chris, Dr. Chris Exley is the world expert on aluminum, not just aluminum in vaccines, but aluminum on the planet, aluminum in amphibians and birds and plants and everything. He's just the guy. And so when they did these autopsies, they found that the brain tissue of those with Alzheimer's and, and dementia, that the aluminum was inside the cells. And that the aluminum in the autistic brains was packed on the outside of the cells, and so there's a deposition difference between those two things. Even though both in both incidences, there's a large amount of aluminum that, that got into the brain. So you know, when you so when you think about that, a little baby, you know, by the time they're five, by the time they're one year of age will have had almost 5,000 micrograms of aluminum. And some of the studies say that as little as 10 micrograms of aluminum injected can cause dysfunction in some of the neurological problems and some of the genetic problems. You know, we are just pounding these kids, pounding them with unbelievable amount of toxicities.
0: Is there something that makes a child more prone to having an adverse reaction than, than another child?
1: Yes, I believe there are several things. One for sure is genetic predisposition uh, from two angles. One is if their parents had had a vaccine reaction, they have a a, a higher incidence of probably they're going to have a reaction. I mean, think it's the only area of medicine that we do not take family history into consideration. You know, when you go to the doctor and you've got migraines or you've got cancer, or, uh, you've got PCOS. or you've got, you know, how, you know, when, when you've got problems with your hormones and they always say, well, how old was your mother when she started her periods? How old was your mother? She had ought to has, has gone through menopause. I mean, everything is about kind of family history because that's an indication of your genetics mm-hmm. in vaccines and vaccine risk and in vaccine injuries. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You could have had a sibling that had a, a horrible vaccine reaction and died now, you have three more kids that the state is going to force you to vaccinate. I could not imagine the terror in the hearts of parents with that sort of thing facing them down the down the track. So family history, I think, increases susceptibility. There are certain genes and genetic SNPs that we know increases susceptibility, like MTHFR deficiencies, um, COMPT, um, the, the VTAC receptors, which are vitamin D receptors, but the MTHFR for sure, because it has to do with methylation and detoxification and ability for your body to get rid of all this junk that's being injected into your muscles. I think two other things that people don't re- generally talk about that increase susceptibility. One is a low vitamin D level, because we never pretest these kids for vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And even more is a low iodine level. Because we know that by the NHANES studies, the National Health Assessment Studies, I think the most recent one was maybe almost 10 years ago. They do them about every 10 years because they're expensive and really difficult to do. That 19%, 19% of women in America, 19% were, were considered to be iodine deficient before they even, when, or when they were in their pregnancy. Now, iodine it is, does several different things for for women it's really important for breast health because when you're lactating you've got an enzyme that's active called lactoperoxidase that sucks up that iodine and puts it and saturates your breast tissues with it and we've known since 1994 that the women who get DCIS have uh, it, it's it's um let me rephrase that. People that are iodine deficient, it's the iodine deficient areas of the breast that are more susceptible to developing DCIS. So if you're deficient when you're pregnant, that really causes a problem the other thing is iodine is so important to be transmitted from the mother through the breast milk into the baby it has it has it protects the brain it increases iq the it helps the babies it, it saturates the, the baby's entire gi tract because uh, i found a paper from like the 1960s where they had done a, a radioactive dye uptake and they show, for for iodine and they at the gi tract and they showed that the gi tract was loaded with iodine which kind of makes sense because iodine is nature's and your body's natural antiseptic. So if it's lining your entire GI tract, think about what babies, how babies interface with the world. Everything goes in their mouth, right? Mm. So if everything that's got bacteria and viruses and they play with the cat and they put it in their mouth, you know, all these different things go in their mouth, well, you want your GI tract to be loaded with iodine to protect them. So if their iodine levels are low their vitamin D levels are low and then you couple that with MTHFR and family history those kids are just they're just they're just time bombs waiting to happen as soon as you start injecting foreign matter into them which is what vaccines are you are injecting foreign matter into a baby to somehow improve its health
0: yeah okay so let's start talking about some of the adverse reactions and i do want to cover the The autism connection, because I feel like that's so controversial. And I, you know, I've listened to other podcasts, people say, you know, that's just all correlation, no causation, like, this is such a big controversy. And I would love for you to explain your perspective um, on the connection between autism and vaccines.
1: Well, autism has become, do you know anything about NLP, neurolinguistic programming? So autism is an NLP word, it triggers you, you're either pr- yes or no. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in between. And, and nobody will hear the in-between because autism is nothing more than a label that is of a combination of symptoms. You know, brain dysfunction, flapping, spinning, loss of eye connection, loss of speech, that complex of symptoms is what they call autism. But what is the underneath that Is brain inflammation, Mm -hmm. and we know from the scientific literature. In fact, people should really go sign up for the for the library. It's tenpennyresearchlibrary.com. Tenpennyresearchlibrary.com. It's free. All you have to do is go and you just have to register. You register, you'll get a confirmation email that you have to click on the click on the confirmation, and you can go in and put in a search word like autism, aluminum, hypersensitivity, asthma, and it will pull up all the pages that have those words on it. And then you can search each one of those pages under, say, hepatitis B or MMR, and you'll find only scientific literature in there, peer-reviewed scientific literature with links to either the abstract or the full text, whichever available out um, in, you know, it's available out in the universe, so to Mm -hmm. speak. I mean, we're not stealing anybody's work, but we have spent eight years building this, eight years. And I have a researcher that adds anywhere from 15 to 25 articles per week. So people can go in and and click on and and search for autism and which or better search for encephalopathy because what does encephalopathy mean it means uh, you know brain inflammation lack of uh, brain dysfunction that your fun- your brain isn't functioning appropriately encephalitis is the brain is inflamed and it's more likely like almost like a viral ince- viral meningitis or something like that so infl- in- the difference between encephalopathy is it's just not working very well encephalitis means it's really inflamed and there are many 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 articles in fact uh, ginger taylor over at age of, at age of autism. I believe she's got 175 articles now accumulated into her one blog stream that shows vaccines and their association and even causality because it's on the package insert. It's published in the medical literature of that vaccines can cause encephalopathy. Well, encephalopathy is the medical term for autism. The difference is that encephalopathy just means the brain. Autism also includes all the other things you see the kids do. You know, the hand flapping, the toe tapping, the lack of eye contact, the loss of speech, the fecal spreading, all the horrible different things that these kids, some of them do that are really far down on the spectrum.
0: So would a parent see all of these effects immediately after, or could it be something that comes on later down the line, even as an adult that was rooted in vaccines as a child?
1: It's usually not that long of a difference okay. for something like for something like autism or encephalopathy. It's either right away or maybe over a several week to a couple of month period of time. So I've heard stories and seen cases of parents where the, where it's like within hours, their kids were bubbly, happy, talking, engaged, and their lights go out and they lose their speech within hours. Mm -hmm. I've seen other parents have said that it's, it's, it's over several weeks that you could just see that, you know, that first day they cried and screamed and cried all day long and were not consolable. And, And then they started with these bowel issues with this diarrhea. And so it's like of a sort of an unwinding over several months. Now, the, the step that of what you say that I would agree with is that sometimes you can get your kids vaccinated and they seem to be perfectly fine until like two years later or three years later that, that it takes a, a slower unwind for them to get something like an autoimmune disease or like lupus, or like a a kidney problem, or uh, diabetes, that type of unwinding in terms of the autoimmune autoimmunity can take longer. And but I I don't think it's my personal opinion that any vaccine can cause harm. Mm -hmm. And every vaccine causes at least a little bit of harm. You know, there was a there was a, a, a an article that I or a, a, an interview I heard um, Andy Wakefield say one time when he said, you know, what if all those vaccines did was just shave off each one, each one kind of shaved off like 10 IQ points, just 10 IQ points. And you I have an IQ of 140. Would you really know the difference if you went to 130 125 120 but if you do that to an entire society what does that do to your society for the long run if you're just shaving that little bit off over time and it's not really so overt as something like asthma or severe eczema or something like that but it's just brain inflammation and and a little bit of loss over time of cognition what does that do to society over time
0: so you believe that every vaccine is impacting everyone on some
1: level. I do. And it's because of what's in it. And if people want to really really d- drill down on what the uh, on what's in the vaccines, we have a we have a, a part of our of our offering of courses for mastery, it's vaccine U. So you can go to vaccineu.com and we have a, a, a dollar course. Uh, it's it's it, <laughs> this is kind of funny. It's on cognitive dissonance. We wanted to offer it for free, but our shopping cart wouldn't let us, <laughs> so we had to charge a dollar. <laughs> so we call it the dollar court course. And it's uh and it gives people an opportunity to see what all how all the courses inside of vaccine you are structured. Mm-hmm. And so there's a video. There's a thirty to forty minute video. There is a you can print out the. Um, Uh, course outline. You can see what the objectives are. There's a quiz and a certificate. And then there's something called the doc box. And for each one of the courses, you have anywhere from four to 20 PDF files of peer-reviewed mainstream medical literature supporting everything that was said in that course. The courses are, are, are between $39 and $59. You have lifetime access as long as we're still on the internet you have lifetime access you can download everything except the video and we have a course it's a seven part course on the problematic ingredients in vaccines so that's so if they, if you're really interested and you really want to drill down on some of the things that we're talking about with aluminum and mercury and the adjuvants and the in the and the foreign proteins like the aborted fetal cells and the and the viruses the contaminant viruses and all of the different chemicals that we've been talking about if you really want to like Tighten up your research time, and I would encourage you to go to Vaccine U and look for the course called Problematic Ingredients.
0: Yeah, so there are obviously a lot. There's a whole course on it. Um, (laughs) Why are are there aborted fetal cells in vaccines? Are those in all vaccines or just some?
1: They're just in some. They're in the uh, the rubella fortune of the MMR vaccine. They're in hepatitis A. They're in chickenpox, and they're in the adult shingles vaccines. And it's where, you know, back when in the day when they were trying to find, uh, because viruses, all of those vaccines that I just said are all viral vaccines. They're all viruses. Viruses have to replicate in living tissues in order to get enough virus to centrifuge off the virus to be able to make the vaccine out of it. So back in the day when they were trying to figure out how do we, what types of cells will will replicate in perpetuity that we can grow these viruses on, um, they started, they looked at cells from from aborted fetal tissue.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I know that's a popular, um, like in terms of for people's religious beliefs, why they don't want to
1: get vaccines. Um,
0: But I think, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, more than that, I mean, more. The more, The if you go to my, my website, which is vaxter.com, V-A-X-X-T-E-R.com, and look under Dr. Tempani's blogs, I, I wrote a whole seri- series on the disgusting stuff in vaccines. And the stuff that I think is the most disgusting is the cow blood, the chicken blood, the dog kidney cells, and there's a flu shot that is actually targeted for uh, adults. That's called Fluad. Uh, or I mean, it's, it's called. I'm sorry, it's called flu cell block. That's actually made from worms. It's actually made from caterpillar eggs. Great. And it <laughs> I know. And and the FDA says you can. You you know, you're allowed to have up to ten thousand nano. Up to up to ten. Uh, up to a thousand nanograms of these foreign cells in each one of those vaccines. And it's like, so who does that? I mean the vac that's the other dirty little secret about the vaccine industry is that when they make a product there isn't a third party outside testing lab that they have to send lots of these vaccines to over to this third party neutral testing lab to make sure that what's in that vac what you say on the label is 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 everything in there that you said is on the label and is there any stuff in there that should not be in there that's not on the label you, you know what i mean yeah so there's no there's no testing that they just take the, the the vaccine manufacturer's word for it. We have that on tape from the FDA. Somebody asked the FDA, is there any third-party quality control standardization on these vials? No, there's not. We just take. The, well, what if we had these vials independently tested and found that there was stuff in there that shouldn't be there? And they said, well, there would be a lot of trouble. Well, why don't you do that? Well, we just take their word for it. So there's an Italian company called Corvelva. I don't know if you've read about this. It's been over about the last year and a half. Corvelva raised those, raised some money from some independent scientists and did exactly that. They took several vaccines and they actually analyzed them as a third party, neutral scientific company. They're like, we just want to do some quality control on these vials and says, so if this is if it says it's supposed to have these 10 things in it, are they there? Are they not, are they, they're in what the, the, uh, in the quantities that are supposed to be there. And what about, is there any other stuff in there that shouldn't be there? Well, the first company, the first company that did that, it was the, it was a, a couple, their last name was Gotti, and it was called the Gotti studies, G A T T I. And what they found, they analyzed something like 27 different vaccines, and they found all this contaminant material in there that they had no idea how it could have possibly been in there. And it varied from vaccine lot to vaccine lot. They, they found like dirt particles. They found these, these large amounts of like, um, uh, metals that were all kind of clobbed together. And they it was like, how did this possibly be? And their control, believe it or not, was a vac- was a feline, was a cat vaccine. And when they tested the cat vaccine, it was perfect. It was exactly what it said on the pa- package insert and it had no contaminants. So a second round when Corvelva did it, they looked at a, a, a vaccine called Infanrix hexa Infantrix hexa is a six-in-one vaccine. That's the first vaccine that most European kids get at two months of age. So it has DPT, hepatitis B, polio, and I think Hib. I think it has those six things in it. What they found was they had zero, no DPT antigens in it at all, no Hib, only two of the three polio viruses, and minimal amount of hepatitis B. But it had all this other junk in it that they couldn't even identify, that 87% of the stuff in the vial, looking at all their chemical analysis books and everything, it was garbage that they couldn't even identify what it was. So if you believed in vaccines and you thought that this vaccine was going to protect your child from getting pertussis, it didn't, because there was no antigens in there to even give them an antibody against pertussis. So now they've done several other testings. They tested Gardasil 9, and one of the things they found in there was amphetamines. And so, Gardasil is the vaccine for, that's supposed to prevent girls and boys from getting cervical cancer and boys from, from getting venereal warts. Well, why would there be amphetam- traces of amphetamines in these vaccines? There's only two reasons, only two ways that could happen. Number one is that they made the vaccine on, on equipment that wasn't thoroughly cleaned, that had made, you know, amphetamine so it was still in the tubing or whatever, or it was intentionally put in there. There's no other options. Why would so these things are intentionally put in there? Oh, why would they put anything intentionally in there? Yeah. Because vaccines are the, gate, they're the gateway drug to the pharmaceutical industry. I'm going to say that again because you really need to let that sink in vaccines are the gateway drug to the rest of the of the of the book of business of the pharmaceutical industry so if you as an adult or your children or even your animals get vaccinated and get sick now you are a lifetime customer to the pharmaceutical industry that they have a 1.2 trillion dollar book of business to stuff you full of all of their products to control your symptoms. And we have been brainwashed to believe in our society that symptom-free in the presence of pharmaceuticals is health.
0: You couldn't have said it any better. I think it's an <laughs> important thing to for people to think about because, I mean, it leads into a much bigger conversation. Like, we're talking about vaccines, but it really is just about big pharma um, and all the money that goes into that. And I think that's another topic in general that people kind of
1: want to avoid. Um, but I, and why would, why do they want to avoid it? Because they don't want to believe that there could possibly be some money motivated driven thing behind it. I mean, really, it's always follow the money, always follow the money. And I I think that some people, um, you know, they just don't want to think about it because it's a little too dark. Mm -hmm. I think that my physician assistant said to me years ago, when, we, when I was very first starting to get into this stuff, she said, Sherry, if I, if I really believed that the government was out to get me or that the pharmaceutical industry was out to kill me, I don't think I'd ever leave my bed. I'd probably hide underneath my bed the rest of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. I just can't psychologically get my head around that, which I think is like, you know, sticking your head in the sand, particularly now in this day and age, is a really dangerous thing to do. Yeah. You need to have eyes wide open
0: yeah and I think it goes back to people <laughs> people confuse like what could actually be happening in terms of the truth with conspiracies like they just
1: but no but like wait to is, what say is, that what is the definition of conspiracy? I'm... A real definition of conspiracy is that people get together behind closed doors, collude, decide they're going to do some things that may be good, maybe nefarious. Mm-hmm. And then they leave the room and deny ever having a meeting. That's a conspiracy. That's why in law, why people can be charged with conspiracy, because they find out that they, people had actually conspired mm-hmm. to do these not so good things. And so it was actually and now people are going to think this is really conspiracy, but it's really super true that in the 50s and 60s, it was the CIA who decided to use the label of conspiracy theories. It was after, right around the time of Well, 1963 was when President Kennedy was shot. So it was right around that time when people were really questioning it. It's like if you start to question that, you're just quite, it's, you're just a conspiracy theorist. And that was the origination of that label. When people started to question what was presented as the status quo, they got labeled as a conspiracy theorist, which was to negate them. So the whole thing was a plan to negate them by labeling them. And actually, there was a, a, a philosopher, his name was Kierkegaard, who actually said, once you label me, you negate me. Mm-hmm. And so the conspiracy theory stuff is the way that people just pop it. Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. It's because they have not a clue about what they're talking about. And it's the way they are trying to negate you.
0: That's true. I mean, I think a lot of people, they just use the label to try and shut people down because it's easier than engaging in the conversation. And especially I mean, with the topic of vaccines, if I try and engage in a conversation with somebody, um, they usually don't really have ac- anything actually to back up their opinion besides the labels, um, which is what you're saying. And I mean, kind of to shift gears though, or talking about America, but are, do you know, like, are there differences in the vaccine situation between
1: here and in other countries, or is it all kind there, of similar? It, 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 there, there are similarities, but there are different, definite differences. Uh, we are the only country that has vaccine exemption rights, even though we are hanging on to them by the skin of our teeth, you know, by a very thin thread of what's happening and what's trying to roll across the country in terms of vaccina- vaccine mandates and a one-size-fits-all vaccination policy. We are really the only country that that has three levels of exemptions, you know, of uh, uh, medical exemption, religious exemption, and philosophical exemption. Some countries have, um, a religious exemptions, but they're even stiffer than ours. Um, And, but most of the countries don't, it's just like, they just decide what your kids are going to get and you have to get it. The vaccines are different in here than, than, um, you know, they are different. They're they're, They have differences in terms of how they're manufactured. Mm -hmm. And I don't know enough about all the different ones in Europe to, to make a a clean distinction of that, Mm -hmm. but they use a lot more combination vaccines than what we do. We give all a lot of the, like I just was mentioning Infanrix Hexa, Mm -hmm. They do six in ones and seven in ones, which are just atrocious. And they, they do it ostensibly to say that it saves money and saves in biological or in medical waste because you only have to give one shot as opposed to four. But if the child has a reaction, which of those seven vaccines did they have a reaction to? You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some of the things that, that are, that are really kind of different. Let me think. There was one other thing I was just thinking about of why that what's, what's different internationally, um, Uh, They don't give as many vaccines internationally as what we do. So there are so and they also give uh, BCG internationally, which is a tuberculosis vaccine Mm -hmm. that babies get at birth that we don't get here in the U.S. And it's I'm really glad we don't get that one, too, because it's never, ever, ever been proven to work. And they give it to all these kids internationally. And so um, it's really, um, you know, if we would have spent all these years building, you know, investing if like Rotary International has spent billions and billions of dollars to eradicate the polio virus worldwide. If we would invested those billions of dollars into clean water and sanitation, education and electricity, Mm -hmm. because the electricity is so important. We don't talk about that very often because if you had electricity in a lot of these villages, you could have refrigeration Which means your food wouldn't spoil, and you would have less hunger, and you would have, you know, less maggots in your meat. You would have time to eat it, you know. So, so I think that there, there are definitely just some, some differences, but, um, you know, the goal is to vaccinate the world, you know.
0: So you said earlier, if uh, if someone's fully vaccinated, that would be nineteen here in America, I think.
1: Um, if, if people are in, I can send you this, um uh, this, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a PDF file that I made. Yeah. So I'm going to get, so I'm going to get toss out some numbers just mm-hmm. so that you know. So from, from birth to one year of age, there's 95 vaccines, 25 micrograms of mercury and almost 5,000 micrograms of aluminum between one year of birth and starting kindergarten the kids get a total of, so you're adding on to that 19. Now, by the time you're five and you start Mm -hmm. kindergarten, you'll have 33 vaccines, 175 micrograms of mercury, and almost 7,000 micrograms of aluminum. Now, adding on to that to the teen vaccines, like the meningitis vaccine, uh, Gardasil, the Tdap, meningitis B, an influenza vaccine every single year. So by the time kids are... Fifth, are, are graduating from high school, they'll have at least 54 vaccines, 525 micrograms of mercury, and 12,000 micrograms of aluminum.
0: So do you know how many of those are
1: required versus how all many? of them?
0: All, those are the required ones.
1: For well, well, that's well, let me rephrase that. That's the vaccine schedule. Okay. So if you got everything on, you know, if you were fully vaccinated mm-hmm. with everything on the vaccination schedule, that's what that would look like.
0: Okay, that's a lot. Okay, and so you're talking about the aluminum and mercury, I um, and we talked about the neurological effects. Are there any other uh, like effects that like those would have in the body just to make it clear for people or main looking mainly looking at neurological? Like how else could that show up?
1: Asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, ADHD, insulin-dependent diabetes, um, autoimmune diseases. In fact, there's an entire textbook now on vaccines and autoimmune disease. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a, a book that was put together by Schoenfeld and, um on in uh, about vaccines and let's put it up there so people could see it. Mm-hmm. Vaccines and autoimmunity. That's that's how much information is out there, and they go through each one of the vaccines and look at those things. Um, like I said, in our Tenpenny Research Library, if you go to TenpennyResearchLibrary.com, we have over ten thousand articles, and it grows by fifteen to twenty every single week. Mm-hmm. In in every vaccine, and it breaks down by adjuvant, it breaks down by by all the different ingredients. It looks at each one of the vaccines. Um, it's We have so much evidence on our side, Christina, so much science and evidence that this is it's time for this industry to blow up and go away. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's a 200 year mistake. When you look back at how smallpox vaccine was even made, it made it was made off of a guess that you could scrape pus off of the bottom of a cow belly, or off the bottom of an infected horse's hoof, and you take a knife blade and you cut, you make a hatch mark in the mother's arm, and then you smear this pus on the arm. And eight days later, when it all pustulates and all gets all festered and everything, they scraped it off and jabbed it into the into babies to keep them ostensibly from. So there was never any science. Never anything about immunity, never anything i mean was this was in seventeen ninety nine There was no antibiotics um, and this is, and, and, and at that time, Jenner was given uh, the equivalent modern day equivalent of more than two million dollars for his experimentation. All the doctors that were in u k and the parliament at the time so, you know, were all for this because it was the first real procedure that they felt had value. They were getting paid for by the government to go door to door to become vaccinators, to go door to door to vaccinate kids. The first mandatory vaccination law was passed in the UK in 1853. That same year, the anti-vaccination leagues was started in the same year by parents whose children had been maimed or killed by the smallpox vaccine. So everything that we're seeing now is just a recycle of history at a higher, more vicious kind of level. I mean, think about the the parents who are involved in what we want to label as the anti-vaccine movement. I hate that label. I hate the word because I don't think people are anti-vaccine. I think they are Mm pro-informed. I think they've spent their time to get educated, to understand what's coming through that needle, to understand the risk and say, no, thank you. Mm-mm. I think, you know, what is measles, a fever, a cough and a rash versus autoimmune disease, neurological problems, autism, encephalopathy. Let me see. I can get, have fever and a rash for seven to 10 days. My kids have a lifetime of immunity. And the girls really benefit from it because of the real measles antibodies that will be in their breast milk when they start to have babies versus I can get chronically ill and for the rest of my life. From getting this vaccine. So what I think is the real paradox here is that you can get any one of those vaccines and still contract that infection. And we got to quit causing, calling them diseases. They're infections. Mm-hmm. An infection is caused by a virus or a bacteria, comes and goes in seven to 10 days and it's gone, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, you, you can get any one of those, any one of the vaccines and still co- and, and and think you're protected and not be and still contract the infection. So vaccines don't really protect you from infection, but vaccines really can cause disease. Infection comes and goes. Disease lasts a very long time, sometimes a lifetime and sometimes can kill you. So it's this entire thing, you know, upside its in, upside down, inside out and backwards, right? Vaccines don't keep you from getting sick, but they can cause you to have disease.
0: I think people listening to this are going to want some more clarity. They might be thinking, what do you mean the vaccine's don't act won't protect you from getting measles for instance
1: well look at all the things that you know all of the studies that came out of like the whole disney measles thing in california in 2007 mm-hmm. you know it, which led to SB 277 i think i i, I don't know the exact percentage mm-hmm. but it was somewhere around 90 percent of cases of measles that were actually diagnosed that came out of that whole hullabaloo mm-hmm. were uh, serotype A measles, which means it was the measles that they had. The fever, cough, and rash was actually caused by the virus that's in the vaccine. Interesting. So it was measles strain vaccine that caused the illness. Mm-hmm. And so, and think about how many people that you you had a flu shot and got the flu anyways or got a pertussis vaccine, it got pertussis anyways, mm-hmm. or got hep- uh, hepatitis A vaccines before they went on a, on a trip somewhere out of, outside the country, and they got hepatitis A anyways. So you can, or how many people that develop shingles after getting the shingles shot? How many kids get chickenpox after they get the chickenpox vaccine? So you can get that vaccine and still contract the infection. So all you've really done is taken on all the risk and gotten nothing to protect you. We go into this in really, really deep detail in our boot camp course. Mm-hmm. It's like our eight-week course, our, our signature course that's offered twice a year. Um, open enrollment is uh, September 26th of uh, 2019. Open enrollment is from September 26th to October 1st. The course starts on October the 8th. Uh, Every week you get an instructional video, you get a doc box, and every Thursday night we have an online discussion like what we're having now, only we do it with Zoom. Mm -hmm. So every week there's an online discussion um, to go back in and and watch the video. So it takes you through safety, efficacy, because vaccines are not safe. They've never been proven to be safe ever because there's never been a true placebo used in safety testing. So by default, the, the research is faulty effective. We interpret effective to mean it gives you protection and it doesn't. Mm. And there are many, I mean, many, 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 look at when they do those retrospective analysis of like a mumps outbreak or pertussis outbreak or whatever. And they find out that like the most recent MMR outbreak, they found that 89% of those kids had at least two, maybe three vaccines and got the mumps anyways. So it really doesn't keep you from getting sick. But it can, it can cause a lifetime of chronic disease.
0: What about
1: the argument
0: that, you know, a lot of these, quote, older diseases that we don't see as much
1: anymore? Infections, like- infections, infections, quick volume diseases. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working really hard to change that paradigm. I'm working really hard because disease sounds so scary. Yeah. And when you say infection... Everybody's had a sinus infection, a bladder infection, a tooth infection, right?
0: Well, well comes, we need to. Yeah. Well, what well, well, comes to mind? So recently, I was having this conversation with somebody, and they said, "Well, what about polio? Like, we don't see polio anymore because we got the vaccine." And and then they were saying, "You know, what about there was? I don't even actually know this at all. They just threw this out there, and I didn't look at it at all." They said that there was some um, outbreak of polio in some area where people didn't get the vaccine, and
1: yeah. They don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> See, these are the these are these propagated myths, and that's you know we go through the boot camp course. The first is is small is safe is safe and effective. The second is smallpox and polio. Mm-hmm. The third is herd immunity, because that's the other big thing that people think they know something about and they don't. We teach people, there's a whole, a whole course on the schedules that we really teach people how to read a package insert. Mm-hmm. So we're always telling new parents, go read the package insert. But if you don't have a medical background, mm-hmm. that can be kind of intimidating. And then we talk about vaccine financing and about vaccine tracking mm-hmm. and the tracking systems that they're, they're putting in place across the country and how you can opt out. And so and then in between there, we have language training to teach you how to have conversations with people without heat Mm -hmm. and how to ask questions as opposed to telling you don't really have a conversation. What you have is a bunch of questions and you let them talk. Mm -hmm. And so we we drilled kind of deep down into that. But the whole thing about polio, I mean, that's it's a long discussion. But in the in the short of it is there is no reason why American children should ever get a a polio vaccine ever. We've had no wild type polio in the Western hemisphere since nineteen ninety one, which is probably longer ago than you are old.
0: <laughs> it, is. it is but like they like these people are arguing that it's because of the
1: vaccine. It's because they don't know what they're talking about. Because polio was was more polio is, is a gastrointestinal virus that becomes a neurological virus in the presence of a pesticide. Mm. When we stopped using DDT, the incidence of paralytic polio dropped like a rock. There were only 27 cases of wild type polio, I think in the whole world in 2017. So why are children in America still getting four or five polio shots that have viruses in them that can revert, that have known contaminants, Mm -hmm. that have two phenoxyethanol in some of them, formaldehyde and other ones, which are known carcinogens, to prevent what? To prevent something that doesn't even exist anymore? I mean, it's like, you know, I get the shot because I don't want to get polio. Well, there's no more polio viruses, so it doesn't even exist anymore. So how are you going to get polio? I don't know, but I better get the shot in case I don't, so I don't get it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, can can you can you also just touch on the, her, the herd immunity argument for a second?
1: Sure, herd herd immunity when it applied to real infectious processes like chickenpox and measles and, and mumps and even pertussis to a certain degree um, was was when it was applied to real infections, it really did work. There really was such a thing because when you get a real infection. Your, your, your immune system has two arms. They call it Th1 and Th2. Th1 is your natural, silent, intrinsic immunity. So when you're coming in contact with viruses and bacteria all day long from your dogs, your cats, from being out in the yard, from doing whatever you're doing, your Th1 immune system is just taking care of it, taking care of it. And if it, and if there's a bacteria that comes in in or a virus that kind of overwhelms that capacity, then all of a sudden that Th1 immune system says, "Hey, there's an invader in here. Doesn't belong here. Turn up the heat," and that's where fever comes from. And that's why I write, wrote an e-book called The Importance of Fever of why we need to let fever burn, right? Mm-hmm. Because suddenly it's like, turn up the heat, let's burn these guys out of here. Mm-hmm. And then as the fever comes up, the next thing that happens is your that TH1 immune system calls in the macrophages and the white blood cells and the cytokines and all these different things to neutralize those foreign viruses and bacteria that aren't supposed to be there. Just at the end of that whole illness process, The Th2 side of the equation gets engaged and starts to produce antibodies to glob onto that ball of foreign protein to neutralize it, make it go away, and goes, okay, now I've got an imprint of what this looks like. I'm going to remember this for a long time. That's what the Th2 side of the equation says. So when that bacteria or virus shows up again, it says, oh, I remember that. I can glob onto it and make it go away. So... In the in the in, so so in the real life, when you have a real infection and it engages both of those sides of the equation in a dance, that's what allows real herd immunity and real lifetime protection. And so when and, and, and herd immunity is the way we just as I described it was was actually studied and first mentioned in the 1930s. And they talked about in a community that they were studying measles, that it appeared as though if 55 percent, not 90 percent, 55 percent of the kids in that community had contracted real measles, fever, you know, virus, all of stuff, that it appeared as though it stopped the transmission of the virus. And if it stopped the transmission, that appeared to protect the very old and the very young. And that was labeled natural herd immunity. So the vaccine industry comes along and says, well, we're going to bypass all that stuff. We're going to inject this foreign matter in there. So you get this antibody. But the antibody is not the same because it doesn't recognize the real virus. It recognizes vaccine strain virus. Mm -hmm. And it was never introduced in the presence of fever, which locks in everything on the TH1 side of the equation. So you get this false sense of security that the Uh, pharmaceutical industry has completely co-opted and made us believe that these things are called protective antibodies, that if you've got a really high level of this injected foreign matter stuff, you're not going to get sick, which simply isn't true. So there's this real natural herd immunity that Worked and was true. Mm -hmm. Now we've got this medicalized herd immunity that you have to have. They claim, they just claim, that 90% of people have to be vaccinated and they have to have all these antibodies so that it works. But it doesn't work. When you see massive outbreaks, kids have had two or three vaccines and gotten sick, anyways. Mm -hmm. So all we're doing is injecting stuff. So the medical herd immunity is a, a propaganda tool. It's something that is said just because you say it over and over again doesn't make it true, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a propaganda tool used by the media, by our legislators, by people who don't know what the heck they're talking about to sort of say, well, what about herd immunity? So the thing to say when somebody says that to you is, yeah, what about it? What do you really know about it? Can you really explain it to me? Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't there a difference between natural herd immunity and medical herd immunity? What do you know about it? And set them right back on their heels because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They don't.
0: Yeah, got to ask them the question. Um, and it. I think there's like the foreign matter piece is really just like that alone. Can't wrap my my brain around. I mean, I can't, but you know what I mean? Um, and I also wanted you to touch on the connection between like glyphosate and vaccines.
1: <laughs> Dr. Stephanie snadov has tested all of the vaccines for glyphosate. And I believe she said there's traces in all of them, but the ones that have the most... Uh, Glyphosate are the ones that have the highest concentrations of gelatin, which is which is MMR, chicken pox and shingles vaccines. Mm -hmm. And it's because gelatin comes from cow hoofs. And cows are out in the pasture eating Roundup sprayed grass, mm, okay. and it gets into their tissues. And when it gets into their tissues, when they are taken to harvest, and then we harvest cow hoofs and make it into gelatin powder to put it into our vaccines, doesn't that just sound yummy? Um, um, that's where the traces of glyphosate in vaccines appears appears to come from.
0: Okay. And then we touched a little bit on the, the microbiome, how it affects microbiome. But what about hormones in general? And do we see effects like later on with hormones? Or is that you too know, big it's, a leap?
1: It's, it's a little hard to say for sure. And to be able to make, you know, it would be impossible to make a causation effect. Yeah. But it would be even kind of difficult to make a correlation effect Mm -hmm. because most of the vaccines are given by five years of age and most people don't, you know, start, girls don't start their periods until they're 12 or more, Mm -hmm. nine maybe, at least nine. Mm -hmm. And boys don't start, you know, going through their growth spurt and becoming, you know, going through their maturity till even a little bit later. But Mm -hmm. the one thing I will say about hormones has to do with Gardasil. Mm -hmm. You know, Gardasil is the vaccine that we have Convinced pe- girls that if they get this, they won't get cancer, which I do an entire presentation on that. In fact, if you go to Vaccine U, and you look up, you do go to the teen vaccines. There's a two hours of presentation, two 45-minute videos that lay out all of the false premises, all the false claims. Um, there are very big lawsuits growing in Europe right now against the against the vaccine industry. And I guess that is one thing when we were talking about earlier about what is the differences in the U.S. You can't sue the pharmaceutical company can't sue the doctors, can't sue the the drug, the hospital, can't sue the nurse, can't sue the pharmaceutical industry. If your child gets a vaccine and has a serious reaction, you're basically SOL. Yeah. And you can try to apply for compensation through the federal court of claims called the vaccine court. One in four people, one in four cases actually get any compensation. In Europe, you can sue the the pharmaceutical industry, and there's some big lawsuits coming up, especially about Gardasil, Mm -hmm. because Gardasil is killing more girls and boys than any vaccine. And the difference is, is when you inject a baby, and they scream and cry and have high-pitched screaming for, for weeks, they can't tell you where they hurt or how bad they feel. And if they die somewhere between two and four months of age, they go, oh, we're so sorry. But that's the most common time of SIDS, and we don't know what causes SIDS, but um, your baby just was defective and they just died. And so, and, and I'm serious. That's actually the t- kind of what they say in the medical literature. So, but when Gardasil, these are young girls that are athletic and scholars and musicians that are becoming permanently disabled, crippled, crippled and dying. Mm-hmm. And if they aren't going to that point, the three of the main, most toxic ingredients in that vaccine is polysorbate 80, borax and lots of aluminum 500 micrograms of aluminum per shot the polysorbate 80 has been shown to cause infertility in both male and female mice borax has been shown to kill off the sperm cells in testicles and that's published literature and um Aluminum is known to accumulate in testicles of boys, and the higher amounts of aluminum that are in testicles, the lower the sperm count. Okay. Aluminum, all that aluminum also in the po- combined with polysorbidating in girls, I think can lead to PCOS, irregular periods, and infertility. And what just got published last week? American, girl- American teens have the lowest uh, fertility rate ever. The lowest number of teen pregnancies that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And and I can't imagine that teenagers are having any less sex now than they were 20 years ago. Yeah, It's just, you know, or 30 or 50 or 70 years ago. I mean, it just happens. Right. Yeah. But now the fertility rate is starting to come down.
0: Yeah. Starting to and, come down. And that's how I kind of think about it. Like I, I very aware of how infertility is on the rise. And I think about it in the context of heavy metals, toxicity, and like all the places we're getting medals from, um, and, you know, it's not just vaccines, but, you know, I think all these things add together, and that was kind of, like, my thought process as well, but it's funny you bring that vaccine up. I, like, for me, just personally, I remember being in high school and um, going to the doctor, and she, my mom, my mother did not want me to get any of those vaccines like when you're a teen she was like don't get don't let them trick you in any vaccines and I go in there and the doctor I felt like was just peer pressuring me and she was like there's nothing wrong with these she's like your mom's not here so you can make your own decision and she gave me these brochures and I was like really leaning towards getting it I was like okay the doctor knows more than my mom is what my thought process was and I go home and I go on YouTube and I start looking up videos and I see all these girls like telling their experiences of how it destroyed their bodies and how they're losing function, and I got so scared. And now I'm thinking, like, it doesn't make any sense to me why when I was 15, 16, the doctors telling me, like, why do I get to decide that, and I'm so ill-informed, and this doctor is, like, peer-pressuring me and making me feel like I'm a bad person if I don't get it.
1: Yep, and that whole bullying thing, I've always told people that, you know, I think I, I, and I'm a physician, right? And, but I really believe that physicians need to not bully their patients into anything. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be the same thing as like trying to bully you into like getting braces or, or having surgery on your knee or something like that. You know, it's like, why would they bully you and and try to put a wedge between you and your parents? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just the most despicable thing. And I've, I've told a lot of people, I've said it on radio before, you know, If you're if you get have a really horrible bullying experience in a doctor's office, when you leave that office, you need to like pick up your phone and call the state medical board and report them. Mm. There's laws against bullying these days. You know, you can't bully in schools. There's all kinds of, of bullying laws. And if a particular physician got enough reports about that the state medical board would definitely come knocking at their door. And I think if we had a couple high profile things like that happen, that maybe the, the, uh, the physicians would get it that they can't, they're not, their job is not to be a minion of the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. Their job is not to be a soldier for the drug companies. Mm -hmm. Their job is to, is to, is to investigate that whether it's a a written prescription or whether it's an injection, they need to know what the side effects are. They need to know the potential downsides Mm -hmm. and, and not, and they need to stand in the gap for their patients, not to be pressuring them because they get to bill $225 at a minimum per shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some places, and I've, I've heard that it's like 300 and some dollars per injection because you get to uh, charge for the, the shot, mm-hmm. for the actual administration of the injection. You get to charge for counseling. Um, and you can all bill that to insurance. Now, imagine if you, how many vaccines that you give if, in a, in a vaccine, a high volume pediatric practice, high volume, that all they do all day long, their job is to vaccinate. Mm-hmm. And Blue Cross, we found uh, this about four years ago now, that Blue Cross Blue Shield actually offers an incentive plan for physicians who fully vaccinate, and it's called the Combo 10 program, that there's 10 vaccines that are given before the age of two, 10 different vaccines, and if 63% of their practice that 63% of the kids in their practice has had every dose of all 10 of those vaccines, they will get an incentive of $400 per child in their practice for compliance. Wow. So let's put the numbers in place. If there's a 1,000 kids in their practice and 630 of them, 63%, mm-hmm. are fully vaccinated, they get $400 per thousand kids in their practice as a bonus
0: wow yeah and you know people ask why isn't this information out there like why can't I'm like duh like (laughs) because what you're just talking about (laughs) you think that people want you to know that you know like of course it's uh it just and I don't want people listening like I don't not every doctor is a bad person not every doctor bullies you but I know a lot of people listening to this podcast have had the experience of having some type of doctor um, push them in a certain direction or dismiss them or, you know, just talk down to them if they're bringing up concerns. And I don't think that's okay. Um, some, some,
1: do you have? Well, one of the things about that is that people should separate from performance from personality. Mm -hmm. You might love your doctor, You might want to invite him and her over for Thanksgiving dinner. You might hope that they marry your daughter or son. You might love them. You might think they're the coolest human on the planet. But that's personality. Mm -hmm. That's not performance. Mm -hmm. And performance is bullying, administering things they know nothing about. 27% of doctors that couldn't even recognize a vaccine injury if it walked in the door and introduced itself, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or 27%, only 27%, I think I may have said that wrong in the beginning, only 27% said that they could recognize a vaccine injury. Mm-hmm. So that means, you know, the other 67% said there's no such thing as a vaccine injury. And so that's performance Yeah. and you need, and, and you're going to that doctor and paying money or your insurance is paying them money based on their performance. If you happen to like your doctor, and you really like their personality, that should be kind of like the bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting really, really good, high-quality care from somebody that explains things to me and knows what the heck they're talking about. And, oh, by the way, I like them. Mm-hmm. Not the other way around. Oh, I love my doctor. They're so good with my kids, and they give them seven shots each time we come in. <laughs> you know, so. It does
0: get confused. It definitely does. Um, yeah. I think something that people might also be wondering after listening to this is, if a child gets a vaccine, is there anything that can be done to help mitigate potential effects or is it just once you get it?
1: Well, I'm always, sa- I've always said, and it's really true that once you vaccinate, you can't unvaccinate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can't. Now you can improve things and you can do some level of detox. Like I think homeopathy works the best because mm-hmm. it helps to kind of heal the genetic, you know, gets down into a constitutional place. hmm but I, the other thing that I know that we've, we've heard about and we've read about that seems to help to detox the aluminum is Fiji water. And Fiji water because it has high concentrations of silica in it. And I believe you can actually even buy silica tablets like at the health food store. Mm -hmm. And silica binds with the aluminum. So the, excuse me, the aluminum that is actually out there and is available that it can glob onto, Mm -hmm. then it can take it out through your urine or through your stool. So um, we recommend silica water. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy it at Costco in quantity, you know, silica water. The other things like garlic and chlorella are two things that kind of help to detox other types of heavy metals. You've probably talked about that on other shows mm-hmm. of yours. And, and the other thing is to make get your vitamin D level up to an acceptable level. It should be between 80 and 100 So the range is usually 30 to 100, and if it's 31, your doctor usually tells you it's normal, right? (laughs) But to be therapeutic, it needs to be closer to 80. And the same thing with an iodine level. That's a blood test. You know, you can also do it as a urine test. It's not as accurate. But you can get a blood test, and that level should be somewhere around 100. And so if you, and iodine helps to knock out some of the, some of the like things like fluoride, fluoride, fluorine and bromine, bromide that you pick up from toothpaste and hot tubs Mm -hmm. and chlorine. So iodine helps to detox your body from those halogens, the fluoride, bromide, bromide, fluoride and chloride. Um, So iodine helps to detox your body from that. So seaweed, sea vegetables, uh, we see algaes. We like a product you can find online. It's called sea of greens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made from seven or eight different types of North Atlantic kelp products. So we like that type of iodine a lot cause it's a whole food. And we really think it, we've really seen it work a lot for almost any condition. And then, you know, vitamin D and vitamin K now has become so popular to do the two together. Uh, you know, I'm not a purist on that. I do think that vitamin K is really important for overall health anyways. And if it does help your vitamin D to be more effective, then I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, I had actually a friend recently who's had a, had a baby and he was vaccinated and she was like saying that her holistic doctor had um, a whole protocol to help with what, what happened. So I'm assuming that would be some type of detox that you're referring to.
1: Well, we do talk about sometimes we talk about it inside of the boot camp course about, you know, there are situations where you have to vaccinate. Yeah, I mean, SB 277, right? California, you know, uh, military, you know, the people going into the military, um, sometimes nasty divorce cases when the judge orders the kids to be vaccinated. Um, so so sometimes there's circumstances beyond your control. And so we generally recommend in in cases like that to do vitamin C and vitamin A, vitamin C, like, um, at least 10 milligrams per pound and vitamin A, a thousand I use per year, uh, for three days before the day of, and three days after the vaccine. Now, what does that do? I don't know. It helps to get rid of the foreign matter, helps to make your white blood cells you know, wake them up and get them like as strong as they can be to kind of gobble up the the stuff that's been injected through that needle. Mm-hmm. Um, vitamin C is protective to the adrenal glands. And so we think that's really important. We also think it's really super important that if you're going to vaccinate to not do any of that Tylenol stuff, you know, you know, they apparently like, I don't know if they still recommend this as much as they did a few years ago, but they used to recommend that the parents give a dose of Tylenol before they bring their babies in to get them vaccinated so that it wouldn't hurt so much. Well, the problem is that, that, that Tylenol depletes your glutathione, and your glutathione is your body's most important protective antioxidant. So now you've made your child more vulnerable to risk by giving them that Tylenol before they come in the door and afterwards. Like, oh, if they're crying, just give them some Tylenol. No, that's not going to do it. You know?
0: I didn't even so, know there was a recommendation. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, America. Sure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, really. Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information. I know I've already taken up way too much of your time, but I love chatting with you. I think think we could go on for hours. Really, really. (laughs) I really could. I could talk to you for days, honestly. I have no idea how you keep all this information in your head, but I really appreciate you just clarifying a lot of this for the audience and um, explaining what's going on with the vaccine industry because I think a lot of people have questions. A lot of people like we talked about at the beginning, for some reason are nervous to dive into it um, or talk about it. They feel like they can't have an open discussion. And hopefully this helps shed some light on some of the questions that they might have had. And you've mentioned a lot of great resources they can go to to learn more. Um, But before I let you go, do you want to just remind everybody where they can get more from you, find the courses, all of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they are a bunch of divergent and separate things, but they're really all under one umbrella. Mm -hmm. And the umbrella, the company name is Courses for Mastery. So it's Courses, the number four, Mm -hmm. mastery.com. And that's the website where you go there. If you look at the website, there's a video at the top that says, Hi, welcome to our website. Let me walk you through what's here. And then I'll talk to you about the boot camp. Our our open enrollment on our boot camp is coming up at the end of September. So if you're interested in getting more information about the boot camp, uh, you can either go to coursesformastery.com or you can text... MVI, like Mastering Vaccine Info, MVI to 555-888. And that will put you right into our email database. So that's a way you can do that. We have Tenpenny Research Library, which is the 10,000 articles that I talked about. It's free. You just have to register to search. Um, and we've got Vaccine U, which is individual, we call them advanced training courses on each one of the vaccines. It's a work in progress. We've got about 25 or so courses up there right now. And by through, through over the the course of the next six to eight months, there will be a course up there on every single vaccine and also on the adult vaccines. Because that's one thing we didn't talk much about Mm -hmm. is all the problems that are associated with adults because we put so much focus on the kids. Mm -hmm. So we'll have an entire module on the adult vaccines, like the pneumonia shot, the DTaP, the shingles vaccine, you know, the adult uh, targeted flu shot. So all of that stuff is coming. And that's if you go to vaccineu.com and you can sign up for our dollar course. And so for a dollar, you can get our First course and kind of see what it's like, see what the courses are like. You have lifetime access to that. So, and then Baxter.com is where I do like my blogging and where you we're uh, Baxter is really going to be taken in a really high-level educational direction for because we know that this this industry that people that are aware and in studying and researching vaccines is a maturing group of people, meaning they've been doing it for a while. That there's always crops of newbies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. That's the one thing because people get married and talk about having babies now, they're new to the topic. But there's people who've been looking at this for a really long time. And um, so we want to take Baxter in the direction of much higher level scientific publications. They're almost going to be like white papers on specific topics with vaccines. And so it's going to be uh, really, so these will be things that you can print out and take to your doctor, take to your father-in-law who's a doctor, talk to your mother-in-law who's the pediatric nurse, you know, because they're going to be all well-researched and well-documented. So coursesformastery.com is the place for to find all of that stuff that I just explained. Coursesformastery.com. And um, I hope that you'll join us for our boot camp this fall because um, it's a really fun place. We we have a really lot of, really a lot of fun in our boot camp.
0: Great. Okay. Well, I will put all the information in the show notes as well so everybody can just click and find things. And again, I really appreciate you coming on. I had so much fun
1: chatting with you. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And and thank you for uh, allowing me an opportunity to talk to your great audience. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much to Dr. Sherry for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her research. If you have a question in response to this, if there's something that you would like her to more about, please send that in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com and we will do a follow-up episode with Dr. Sherry's responses to any of your questions or comments because she really wants to keep this conversation going. If you found this educational or interesting, I highly recommend you share it with me in your life if you share it on social media make sure you tag me so i can say thank you and i'm really excited to hear your response to this no matter what your opinion is i think it's just great to open up this conversation if you haven't already make sure you join our facebook group, wellness realness podcast tribe that's also a great place to chat about your response so i hope you have an awesome rest of your day thanks again for tuning in and i will chat with you again next week bye